0: Hope isn't too cliche. Um, I want to teach on thankfulness. It's the first Sunday of November. I do realize, uh, but um, if you'll allow me, and uh, hopefully it's not too cliche for a thank or a, a Thanksgiving month, uh, but it's something God's been dealing with me about this week, and I'll talk a little bit more about that um, as we go on. But um, yeah. So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 10. If you have your Bibles with you, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 10. Deuteronomy, of course, being Moses' last will and testament, essentially, as he's preparing to transition leadership to Joshua. The children of Israel are about to step into the promised land. Moses is reviewing much of what has gone on over the last 40 years. And there's this interesting passage of, of scripture in Deuteronomy 8 and 10 that reads like this. We're going to read down through verse 18. When thou hast eaten and art full, then shalt thou bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. That's a circumstance that we're quite familiar with in this beautiful place that we live. Anybody ever get to eat until you're full? I have this problem Uh, where I apparently don't stop eating until I'm, I'm full, and I'm praying that the Lord help me with that. But when you've eaten and you are full, then is the moment to bless the Lord. Verse 11, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and you've built good houses and lived in them, And when your herds and your flocks and thy silver and thy gold and your bank account and your paycheck and your 401k and everything that you have is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness where there were fiery serpents, scorpions, drought, where there was no water who brought water forth out of the rock of Flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And say thou in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. See, there's something interesting in the human condition that when times are good, we like to let up. We like to let back. We like to release the throttle a little bit and begin to think to ourselves whether it's intentional or not. And perhaps this is just for me today and and you guys don't exist in this place at all, but it is so much easier to pursue God when I have a distinct need, when I've got a distinct something in my life that's causing me discomfort or pain. It seems so much easier to pursue God. And so Moses is warning them, look, you're going to go into the promised land. You're going to step into that place. You're going to have beautiful homes. You're going to have all the food you could ever want to eat. But don't forget me. Don't don't reach a place in your life where you begin to say, you know what? I've gotten me all this wealth. But in verse 18, we'll finish that portion of scripture with this. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto his fathers, as it is this day. No matter my ability level, no matter how successful I might ever become, I can never move past the mindset. I can never move past the point where I remember it is actually God that provides it to me. Where I remember that it's, it's not my hand, it's God. It's not my wisdom it's God. It's not my position, it's God. Because all of that could change in just one moment. If I ever forget God, if I ever forget how good He's been to me, all of it could change in a moment. There's a phrase we've all heard, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Anybody ever heard that phrase? I'm reasonably familiar with the way that the Lord speaks to me and gives me uh, thoughts to talk on, teach on, preach on. And I was a little surprised this week. Um, I was listening to a podcast and I've learned, because I have a horrible memory, that um, when God pops something into my mind, I like to, I have to write it down. I've got to write it down so I can go back to it later. And so I was listening to a podcast this week and The host was discussing the the two hosts. They were discussing the incredible world that we live in and trying to demonstrate, trying to communicate what he actually meant. One of the hosts uttered this sentence. There are bananas on my counter. And for whatever reason, the Lord was like, boom, it was like electricity in my brain. I'm like, "Okay, this is weird. It's probably I felt I looked as weird maybe as you're looking at me right now. And so I wrote it down because I knew it was going to come up later. And so I try to do with it what I try to do with any word that I feel the Lord's given to me. If, if God pops the word faith into my mind, I, I want to spend time in the scripture studying out faith. If he, if he pops some other thought or a verse into my mind, I want to spend some time studying it out. I want to dive into it. I don't want to just bask in it and never dig into it. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a pastor to be at home digging into the word of God, diving into it. Each of us should be mining that word of God for ourselves because you never know when you're going to need that nugget. If God puts something in your heart, don't just write the verse down and be like, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. But allow that to kind of dive down inside of you and dig it out because there's a good chance God's setting you up for a situation later in your life, a week later, a month later, where that nugget that you dug out of the earth and you dug it out of the word of God, God's going to use you to deliver that to somebody else. So here I am thinking about bananas. And I realize that I sound bananas. But the ultimate point is this. This fruit that we think, anybody have bananas at home right now? We might even have bananas downstairs that we're going to have for a snack. This fruit that we think absolutely nothing about, going to the store and snagging. It, it, it's, it's so commonplace to us. How in the world did it end up here? Bananas don't grow in South Dakota. There are very few bananas actually grown in the United States at all. The vast majority of our bananas come here on a boat. Now, the average American and... uh if if you've been below average, you might be very average or maybe even above average in this portion right here. The average American eats 27 pounds a year of a fruit that's grown in an entirely different country. We eat 27 pounds a year of something that's grown thousands of miles away of something that's been radically altered and changed. You can't even, like the bananas we eat are a total mutation from, and they're a total adaptation from an actual wild banana. That You don't plant a banana seed in the ground and get a banana plant. It's a planting, it's a cutting from each one. So each one is actually a cutting. It's a short way for us to view the amazing world that we live in. There are bananas on my counter. There are things in my life that if I don't stop and take a conscious moment to think about them, if I don't stop and take a moment to reflect and recognize how blessed I actually am, I'll think nothing of it until I don't have it. I'll think nothing of how blessed and how favored I am until, like, this year I realized I do most of the shopping for our family. Uh, my wife spends enough time in Walmart. She doesn't really want to go to Walmart. And I kind of enjoy like walking through Walmart and looking at people and connecting. Sometimes I feel like I have a Walmart ministry. If you wear your Jesus Church sweatshirt to Walmart, uh, you, you will see people from church in Walmart. You'll see people that you've connected with in the past. And so I love going to Walmart. And they were on our list. I went to the store, and it was in 2020 for the very first time that I experienced empty shelves where things on my list were not there. And I distinctly remember a shopping trip where there were no bananas. None. That's intense. I had never thought about it before. The only thought I ever had was, all right, I've got to get the perfect ripeness of the bananas. And lo and behold, when I walked up to it, I, I looked at that counter and there was, there were, I mean, there was like this moldy one over here. And like this one with the flies buzzing. There were none. Nothing, zilch, nada for me to grab. And it was driven home in that point. I live a life that is so incredibly blessed. I live a life that is so incredibly comfortable in a comfortable house, in a comfortable country, to the point that it's very dangerous for us. It's a very dangerous place for us to exist when we have that, 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 expectancy that everything's going to be there. It's November. The time marches on, our year marches on. In a couple of weeks we're going to pause to recognize the national holiday of Thanksgiving. Most of our country or many in our country will then immediately leave their family dinner, line up at various stores and begin to wrestle each other for the last discounted blender. Now I like to go to that because again I like watching people and creating havoc and it's kind of fun. But what a way for us to express our thankfulness for all the blessings of God by going and arguing with a stranger about a vacuum cleaner. It's 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 so telling, it's so intentional uh, or so so something we've got to be so intentional about. So what we read was a warning from the aging prophet Moses to the people of God. They're preparing to enter the promised land. And it was a warning from God. In your prosperity. In your comfort. Don't forget me. Now I know I've been talking about bananas. But let's let's shift for a moment. To the spiritual. You see there are some things in the spirit. That we take for granted. If we're not careful. There are some things in our walk with God. That we can take for granted. If we're not careful. What would ever happen. If we began to be unthankful for the presence of God in a church service and some Sunday we show up and all of a sudden he ain't there and we're we're, we're desperately looking around because we need him. We we need his presence. I need those bananas for this recipe. I need them for my snacks. And all of a sudden they're gone. You see, God was talking to the children of Israel and telling them, look, don't get so comfortable. Don't think it's just you. Don't think it's just us. It's not. Our music program, it's not, and I love our pastor. I think he's a very gifted and anointed man of God. But it's not just his wisdom preaching. There's a spirit of God that moves throughout this place. You see, lack of thankfulness, ingratitude is a dangerous place to live. When we are no longer thankful, it begins to breed a focus on I, me, my. Ingratitude leads us to selfishness. At its extreme, an unthankful attitude pushes us to attempt to provide for ourselves, to attempt to satisfy each and every one of our own wants and our desires. You see, if, if, if we're unthankful for the presence of God and God lifts that out, has anybody ever experienced that in your walk with God? In those, those morning devotions, all of a sudden you have that day, that week, a couple of weeks where you're just like, where is he? And it drives something inside of you. See, maybe it's been such a good couple of weeks and maybe you've had no trouble or no issues. And so that need isn't there. And God in his mercy just kind of pulls back a little bit to see, are they going to push? Are they going to respond? Are they going to come after me? Is it any wonder in that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he said, This know also in the last days that perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. It's it's telling that those two words are right next to each other. Because as I've heard pastors say before, if the devil can get you to be unthankful, if, if you can reach a place where you're not thankful for everything God's done for you, you're not thankful for the house that he's provided, the car that he's provided, the health that he's provided, maybe there are some issues with your health going on, but here you are, you're sitting here, you're breathing, you're, your eyes are, for the most part, open. We're, we're, we're moving forward. If the devil can get us to be unthankful, we're right next door to unholy. Now, instead of being thankful to be the anointed cherub that covered, Satan desired to exalt himself. And he began to say, you know, I, he was created in absolute beauty and splendor. He was a light unlike any of the other angels. He was the most glorious angel in heaven. His very movement created music. And in the light of God's presence, the the jewels and the gems that were on him began to shine across the heavens. And yet he was unthankful with that position that God had created him to be in. Instead of living... In a constant attitude of thankfulness, in comfort, in relaxation, in peace, in the Garden of Eden, a little seed of doubt, a little seed of unthankfulness was planted in Eve's heart. I want this thing, even though God's commanded me not to. I want to have this thing right here that, that God has said she was in all the comfort she could have ever wanted. There's no disease. There's no sickness. You don't ever have to work for your food, like to the point where you're going to be exhausted. You don't have to pay taxes. There's no bills. And yet, they weren't perfect in thankfulness. On and on the story goes throughout the entire word of God. And if we're not careful into our lives today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, Paul continues and said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. I didn't bring anything into this world and I'm not taking anything out with me. Nothing that I have is going with me. And it's something that I want as this year wraps to a close. I want that to be an attitude down inside of my heart, a a constant reminder I, I, I can't take physical things for granted for sure, but I absolutely have to make sure that the spiritual things in my life cannot be taken for granted. The, the anointing of God, the presence of God in my home, his, his presence in this church, his, his presence through the word of God, the gifts of the spirit. I don't want to take any of that for granted. Thessalonians 5 and 18 There's a place that we must reach. It says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is a mark of the mature believer to be willing to offer thanks in every circumstance. It's the mark of a mature believer to be thankful no matter what's going on. Raising children has has really helped drive this home for me. As a parent, I hope they can't. they're, They're not paying attention right now, so hopefully they can't hear my booming voice downstairs. As a parent, nothing bothers me more than unthankfulness. And I apologize to my parents for my childhood behavior when food was set on the table in front of me. And without even touching, I just go, oh, that's disgusting, and push it away. And I've, I, even though we've all sworn, has anybody ever said, I'm, nev- I'm not going to do what my parents did. I'm not going to talk like my parents. Anybody ever say that? I have now found myself talking to my children and saying, you know, there are kids that aren't going to get to eat supper today. And I'm like, oh, man, it's driving me nuts. But there's a realization. There's a growing understanding inside of me that I've got to have this attitude and I'm determined to pass it on to my children. It's the mark of a mature believer to be able to give thanks to God in every circumstance. Look at Job. He just finds out the news. He lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his children. He lost everything that he had. And he sat down and he was scraping himself with a broken piece of pottery, everything stripped from him. And he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He sits in a pile of ashes and refuses to have ingratitude. He realizes there's still breath in my lungs. I'm still alive. There's still a God in heaven and he's worthy and he gives God. Thanks. It's a mark of a mature believer to face down a trial or a circumstance and realize, regardless of what I'm going through, God's still faithful. God is still good. As Paul went through everything that he went through and faced everything that he faced, he was thankful. Thanks, thankfulness, thanksgiving, it's, it's woven all throughout the tapestry of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, where right now, from Revelation chapter 4 and verse 9, there are four living creatures around the, the throne with the, the four and twenty elders. And those four living creatures are giving God glory and honor and thanks right now in heaven. Time would fail for us to adequately, adequately address the topic. Psalms alone could be a year long study in the thankfulness that David poured out to God and that the other psalm writers poured out to God. But I wanted to jot two attributes about God. And if, if, if I'm ever blessed with the opportunity, perhaps I'll continue with some other attributes about God. But I would I would challenge you throughout the week to find things in God that you're thankful for. Now, it's easy for each of us to say, oh, I'm thankful for you, God. Well, that's great. But find something about him that you're actually thankful for. Something specific about God that you're thankful for. And so I've got a couple of them here. And there are obviously an infinite number of things that you could begin to thank God for. But two of them that I jotted down that I want to talk about today. I am thankful for a God that does not change. Now, I understand that that's probably not where we go to first. That fact, that truth about God's character is more than just a shouting point in a sermon. It's more than just a line to try to get people to stand to their feet and clap their hands. We serve a God that is unchanging. 2020 has been bringing us change. And change is painful. Change is, is a hurtful thing most of the time. Our society has changed drastically in the last decade, long before 2020 ever started. There has been a complete remaking of our society. There's a constant degradation, a disintegration of morality across the public sphere. The word of God is no longer held in high esteem by the majority. We're calling good evil and evil good. There's a whole lot of change going on in our society. There's there's a whole lot of shifting and we've watched it from within our own lives. We've watched it within the church with this curiosity and with this this almost unaddressed sense of dread. Like what's going on out there? What what's actually happening in our country? I I can't quite put my finger on it, but it causes me great thankfulness to realize that my God is steadfast. He's unmovable. He's unmovable. He's unshakable. He's unstoppable. He existed from eternity past. And he'll exist until eternity future. He's the God that I was, I am, and I am to come. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever he is unchanging he's unaltering there's there's not a change of his opinion if he wrote it down in his word 2000 years ago it's still valid for us today there is still something concrete and stable steadfast in the shifting sands of this world that we can plant our feet on while everything is changing around us and while we're about to look like total social outcasts in just a few short years we can stand firm on an unchanging God. See, I'm thankful for that aspect of God's nature when everything else is in flux and everything else is shifting. And I I don't even know to how how to answer the gender form anymore. Now there's ninety six different thousand options. I know that forever his word is settled in heaven. He's unchanging. He's unaltering. And I'm thankful for a God that allows and delights in me approaching him. Think about that for a second. He's perfect. He's pure. He's righteous. He dwells in light. He he dwells in just this unapproachable place. And yet he lets me approach him. I'm not perfect. I'm not holy. I'm not light. I'm trying to come into the light, but there is darkness inside of me. I need that light of God to search me to shine throughout my heart. It pressed upon me hard in prayer this week. In fact, pastor and I were praying together in a room. He might've, he might've heard this, but for whatever reason, as I was thinking about bananas and researching bananas, I wasn't at that point. It just hit me. It's 2.30 in the afternoon, and I'm in Watertown, South Dakota. But when I lay down on my face and I begin to pray, the attention of an omnipresent God instantly flashes to me. Who in the world am I that God even listens to my voice? Anybody ever feel like you can't get anybody to listen to your voice? Now, that might not be a problem I have because my voice is loud and insistent and freely offered. But to think that the God of the universe pays attention to me in a world that I am even... I'm so blessed to even live in it yet. He goes above and beyond and his word proclaims. Not only I don't have to grovel into his presence, though. I think it would be enough if I was forced to grovel after everything he's done for me. Most of the time I prefer to grovel because when I, when I'm around him, I begin to sense my own unholiness. I I, I heard it explained this way one time. In the summertime, if you, anybody ever go to a zoo and see a polar bear? What color are polar bears? (laughs) They're supposed to be white and yellow is the, we call them white. And when you see that polar bear in the summer, it looks pretty white. It stands out like a sore thumb across the tundra going on. It's a white bear. But when the snow falls, the polar bear now looks yellow. Or like a brown tinge to it. See, when I'm looking just at myself, I can can begin to say, you know what? I'm looking pretty good. I'm looking pretty clean. I'm I'm pretty holy. I'm a good guy. But then all of a sudden I get in the presence of actual purity, actual holiness, the actual goodness of God. All of a sudden, all of my righteousness looks pretty nasty and looks pretty filthy next to him. And yet, this God allows me in all of my nastiness, not just to grovel before him, but to become bold before his throne. I don't have to crawl in like the worm that I am. But because I've been adopted as his son, I can kick open the doors to the throne room and come in boldly to my father and begin to say, Dad, this is what I need. This is the mercy. This is the grace that I need for this help. This is the grace that I need for this moment. Please think about that this week. Please think about that during this service. As we begin to worship God at 11, the the worship begins, the preaching begins. Who am I? Not only that, as I draw nigh unto God, he begins to draw nigh unto me. I can't explain it. I mean, he's everywhere. He's also in a centralized place on his throne. But as I make that effort to get close to God, God responds in kind. He's not running away from me saying, hey, hey come on, keep up. Let's go. He's coming to me. He's running towards me as I began to pursue him. uh, I can trust and I can believe because it's from the unchanging word of God that he is drawing closer to me. As I make that effort, even if I don't feel him in my morning devotion, I will stand in faith with thankfulness on the word that tells me I made the effort. So he's making the effort. I put the energy and the time in uh, and I know that he heard everything that I said. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He's so interested in bringing you into a secret place. He's so interested in bringing you into a place uh, that we have no business being. And yet he says, come here. uh, I want to draw you so close to me that you are in my shadow. You're you're under my wing, as it were. You're covered by my goodness and my mercy. See, I'm determined to be thankful for this, even when my belly is full and in a possible circumstance where my belly is not. I'm determined to be thankful for these attributes of God, even when I've got a a nice roof over my head. It's something, actually, I don't know why, but it's been on me so heavy. As I watched that snowstorm last week, every morning in my devotions, I'm thanking God that I'm in a warm house wrapped in a warm blanket. But I'm determined to be thankful whether I'm in my warm house or whether I'm not. Whether we're meeting together in this church together to lift up the name of Jesus or whether we're not. I'm determined to be thankful. See, thankful people don't have to be begged to worship. They're always ready. Thankful people don't need somebody to cheerlead them or to shout at them. They're ready to go because they realize who they are and who he is. Thankful people view whatever God asks as their reasonable service. You see, when when God begins to ask me something, it's very easy in my state of comfort and my state of relaxation to think, well, wait, whoa, hold on, God. I'm going to break a sweat. I might have to miss a meal. I might have to... He, he, I don't want to use only personal examples, but it, it comes to mind, and God asked me, sell your truck and give it to missions. Now, it wasn't a fancy truck, but for whatever reason, I, I had some hesitation to do it. Why? Why? Do I not believe that he could instantaneously provide something else? Do I not believe that maybe a walk would be good for me every once in a while? Do I not believe that a God who owns everything in this universe anyways could take care of me? You see, a thankful people view God and whatever he asks of them as a reasonable service. At the end of it all, after everything, after the servant has come in from the field and after he's worked all day in the sun and after the master asks him, you know, the master's expecting the servant who's come out of the field to go ahead and wash his hands, dress himself and serve the master. And at the end of it all, God's simply going to say, you've done your reasonable service. It's not unreasonable for him to expect things from us. Let's go ahead and stand in this place. There's a banana on your counter. Something so small that we never even think about. There are so many little attributes and characteristics of God that are worthy of all my praise and adoration. I mean, even if it's almost inconceivable, but even if we lived in a Christianity where God didn't shower blessings upon us, but he still made a way for us to get to heaven. That would be a God worthy of serving. Even if we lived in a religion where God, you know, He had He had given us that sacrifice and 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 He never answered another prayer after that, He's still escaping me from damnation. But He continually blesses, He continually loads, He daily loadeth me with benefits. And I am determined I don't ever want to take any portion of God for granted. I don't want to take the infilling of the Holy Ghost for granted, but I want to tap into him every day. I don't want to take a church for granted, but I want to connect to that church. There might be people that I have a more challenging time with. There might be some issues and some circumstances that I need to get resolved, but I'm going to get it resolved because I'm thankful for the church. I I don't want to take it lightly that I can approach unto him in my morning devotions and prayer and actually talk to the creator of the universe. I don't want somebody to have to beg me to pray. I don't want somebody to have to beg me to give. I want to give it back to him. Thankfully, can we lift our hands together in this place? I hope that 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 sinks into somebody's mind. I hope it sinks into somebody's heart. Uh, And when if if, as cheesy as it might sound, if you see a banana, I want you to think, uh, how in the world does that get to my counter? And God, I don't want to take any seemingly insignificant because there are no insignificant portions of you, Lord, but I don't want to take any aspect of you for granted. Uh, I want all of it. God, Uh, I want to have a thankful attitude. I'm going to guard my heart uh, against any unthankfulness. I'm not going to give any occasion to the enemy to plant seeds of ingratitude or doubt, uh, because if he can make me unthankful, he can make me unholy. Uh, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for everything you've done for me Uh, in Jesus name, uh, in Jesus name.